Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Michael Schaefer. And I'm Fiona Bennett. Happy New Year, Fee. Happy New Year, Michael. Did you have a lovely festive period? I did. It was all lots of rest and walking and space and people and parties and all those things. It was pretty good, it's got to be said. Well, that sounds excellent. And, and you? Um, uh, mine was lovely and I must um, uh, sort of publicly thank you on air for your beautiful <laughs> present that you uh, told listeners you would be buying me. Um, and I'm not going to go into details, but it will be very much enjoyed. Thank you. So, yeah, another part of my enjoyment of the festive season, Michael, was, um, you know, that thing when you've actually got a bit of time, I managed to sit back and listen a couple of times to the fantastic CD of Girl from the North Country, which, of course, you were in. And, yeah, just to really listen to those amazing songs, arrangements of Bob Dylan's fantastic Mm. material. And that uh, that was really great. And then, of course... I was also able to enjoy your performance in ABC Murders, oh, thank you. which was wonderful. So, mm. And I was kind of curious about that. I just wondered whether you watched it or whether you kind of were on holiday. So you didn't watch it. I don't know. What did you do? I watched the script. There was a screening for the cast and crew before Christmas that I saw. Yeah. And that kind of alleviated that sense of going, oh, God, am I going to be awful in it? <laughs> which is always the first thing. Right. And, and, uh, and I think I wasn't too bad. And I really enjoyed the show. I thought it, it mm. made me want to see more. So then I watched episodes two and three when they came out on the mm. telly. And it was lots of fun to make. And yeah, I really, really liked it. And I'm pleased it turned out well. Yeah, it did. It certainly did. It was fantastic. It was really gripping and very beautifully made. Mm. Um, it's always pleasing to see, isn't mm. it? Mm. I gave John Malkovich a couple of the Poetry Exchange bookmarks. Oh, excellent. Yeah, just to nudge him towards the podcast. Good. I don't know if he's listened yet. Oh, perhaps we'll find out. <laughs> it's lovely to be back in the new year with a new episode, but um, as we're recording this today, we did find out some sad news, Faye. Yes, um, as I'm sure many of you will know, Mary Oliver has died. The great, popular, beautiful, prolific, phenomenal documenter of the spirit and the world and the human journey through it. Really, really sad to hear that. And at the same time, also really celebrating the power of her words that will be with us and will continue to carry people forward. This episode features a poem written in German. It's Dich by Eric Fried. In the episode, you'll hear Catherine, our visitor, reading the poem in German, and this is followed by a reading we've made of the published translation in English by Stuart Hood. Catherine also talks about her own experience of translating the poem within the conversation itself. So I thought it would be interesting to read this, which is a poet speaking about the business of having your words translated, and it's from the introduction to Kiki de Muller's collection, and this is her speaking about what that feels like to offer your words up. The only painless duty of the translator is bringing the dictionaries of two languages, strangers to one another, face to face and forcing them to speak to each other. But her heaviest and most exhausting task is convincing a word to leave its own country and entrust its meaning, great or small, to an unknown guardianship. And she then goes on to talk about that idea of, if you like, the word in exile or, yeah, 
what it's like to live outside its own culture and its own references and indeed its interrelationship with the other words within the poem. It's a brilliant metaphor for the business of translating a poem. So I'd encourage people to find Kiki de Muller's work and her commentary on translation. It's great, I love that. We'll put a link to that on the description page. Yeah. So this month's conversation is another one that we recorded on our trip to Durham. And you'll be listening to myself and Andrea talking about Dich by Erich Fried, the poem that's been a friend to Catherine. Would you mind reading it out loud for us? That's fine. Thanks. Dich, dich sein lassen, ganz dich. Sehen, dass du nur du bist, wenn du alles bist, was du bist. Das Zarte und das Wilde, das, was sich anschmiegen und das, was sich losreißen will. Wer nur die Hälfte liebt, der liebt dich nicht halb, sondern gar nicht. Der will dich zurechtschneiden, amputieren, verstümmeln. Dich, dich sein lassen, ob das schwer oder leicht ist. Es kommt nicht darauf an, mit wie viel Vorbedacht und Verstand sondern mit wie viel Liebe und mit wie viel offener Sehnsucht nach allem, nach allem, was du ist. Nach der Wärme und nach der Kälte, nach der Güte und nach dem Starrsinn, nach deinem Willen und Unwillen, nach jeder deiner Gebärden, nach deiner Ungebärdigkeit, Unstetigkeit, Stetigkeit. Dann ist dieses Dich-Dich-Sein-Lassen vielleicht gar nicht so schwer. You, you, to let you be you, all you, to see that you are only you when you're everything that you are, the tender one and the wild one that wants to break free and wants to come close. Whoever loves the half, loves you not by half, but not at all wants to cut you to size, to amputate, to maim you. To let you be you, is it hard or easy? It's not a matter of how much forethought and understanding, but of how much love and how much open longing for everything, for all that is you for the warmth and the coldness, for the goodness and obstinacy, for your willfulness and unwillingness, for each of your gestures, for your awkwardness, inconstancy, constancy. Then this letting you be you maybe isn't so difficult after all. Thank you. Thank you. It was lovely to hear it. Wasn't that brilliant to hear it? Yeah, the music was fantastic. Everyone always thinks German sounds so clunky, but it's just, I think it's the most beautiful language. Yeah. Yeah. You can really luxuriate in it. So when did you first come across this poem? So I was thinking about this. It was the first time I ever went to Germany, um, when I was about 17. And I think it was the first book of poems I ever bought. I think that was at a point where 
I had really good A-level teachers, but the group was very split. And so it got to the point where they said, we've run out of time, we, don't, we can't cover the subjunctive and various other bits of grammar, you'll have to do it yourselves. Which was a complete turning point for me, because I had been going to do English and music at university. Mm. But then when they said, you've got to work it out yourself, I went to the library, got the grammar books and thought, hey, this is really cool. And so alongside the grammar books, there was poetry and literature. And I just started reading it from there. And this was maybe the first thing I read that I thought, I absolutely understand this and and I guess it changed the way I saw poetry in a way so I've come full circle from reading this and thinking wow you can write about everyday life you can write about ordinary things and that's allowed and legitimate then to studying literature and thinking oh no it's all about rhyme and rhythm and meter and iambic pentameter and all the clever stuff and then going back to writing my own poetry and thinking actually no it's got to be about everyday life otherwise what's the point if it doesn't connect to the everyday um so yeah it was the everydayness of it that i liked mm. and the the political awareness but without being angry almost without being aggressive he makes his points quite gently i'm curious what what are the the what appealed to you in the sort of everyday sense of of, of what's being talked about here I think sometimes the poems that I like best are ones that are deceptively simple. So on the face of it, it's just, well, this is about loving someone and accepting them as they are. And, you know, it's not rocket science. But actually, when you look at it, I think it's partly the force of it. And I always find it surprising when I was translating it. I, you kind of I wanted to pull back from this amputating, mutilating, because it sounds so violent in the middle of a poem, which is about love and gentleness and acceptance. But I think that's what draws me to it partly is this contrast or it's looking at the everyday and thinking this is why it's important mm -hmm. so with this and with the more overtly political poems if everybody took a moment to be kind and to accept who they were talking to and not to jump in and criticize it sounds simplistic mm -hmm. but if if everyone tried to have a grain of this way of seeing a person as they are and accepting the contrasts and the contradictions how different things would be mm. Yes, I'd read it in the, uh, because I'm simplistic, in the, in the <laughs> simplistic way of going, oh, no, I found it quite emotional actually, I thought well, that was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which it is as well, it's just mm. as legitimate. Yeah, and I hadn't seen uh, a more kind of political, small p, political mm. um, side to it. Well, I think that probably comes through more in some of the other poems. So he left Germany um, in 1938. And so a lot of his poems are dealing with being away from his original country and the things that were going on in Germany with the Holocaust. And so a lot of it is much more overtly critical of regimes and, and people being silenced or maltreated. But I think there's a reflection of this on that kind of personal level, the, you know, loving you for your warmth and your coldness, for your kindness and your stubbornness. It's almost, it takes a lot of effort, I think, and energy to love someone like that. We had it for our wedding, my husband and I. And so, and that was the kind of underlying, you know, it's archaic in the wedding service, isn't it? The for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, but this really said it. Um, and it just, it seems more kind of grainy and more gutsy. You know, it's the, I'll be there even when it's, you know, when you're covered in mud and when you're really grumpy. And it, the wedding service bit is somehow so neatly packaged. And I think we stop thinking about the words because you just think, oh yeah, better, worse, or richer, poor, or whatever. Yeah. Whereas this, it's saying, you know, the wildness. And the, when you, I'll still love you when you're seeking to tear yourself away. It's that determination. 
And I think having had children now, the strength of that is even more. You know, you, you think I would run through fire for you, I would do anything. And let's not um, gloss over the fact you just said you did this translation. Yes. Where do we start with that? So what prompted you to translate this? Um, it's an interesting thing with languages. Because on the one hand, you understand it in the German. You don't need to translate it. It's just there. You understand it as it comes at you. Mm. But on the other hand, when you try and translate it, it brings up whole levels of meaning that you hadn't thought about. And you mm. need to think... Um, for example, this Verstümmeln, which translates as mutilating, but also distorting, in the sense of distorting words. Mm. So then you have to make a choice and think, well, which, which is it? How strong is it going to be? What's the, what's the poet saying? Mm. Um, or just things like, the rhymes get lost, the, the repeated words, nach jeder deine Gebärden, nach deiner Ungebärdigkeit, Unstetigkeit, Stetigkeit. How do you keep the music of that? How, do you, how much do you go for meaning against musicality and even just tiny things like the word order so in the German at the end it says vielleicht perhaps on one line it loses that in English because of the the syntax the word order and it ends with the word schwer difficult mm. whereas in English you can't do that so it peters out more and I think reading it and translating it I've translated this four times and each time has been different so I translated okay. it when I first got the book I yeah, translated age 17 yeah yeah Translated it for the wedding, which I look back now and think, oh my goodness, I can't believe I had German speakers there. Like, the translation is so proper, it's so <laughs> accurate, you know, word for word. It just loses the, the zest of it. Um, and then I translated it again for a poetry writing group that I'm part of, where we take a poem that we've liked each time. And that was different again. And then yesterday I sat down and thought, no, I need to kind of grapple with this again, see what else comes out of it. And I think since I've started writing my own poems, it's come out very differently. It's much more about the sense of it rather than necessarily having the strict meaning. Um, can I ask about a, a slightly personal question? And I don't quite know how to phrase it. Um, I've just got, you know, you fell in love with this poem at 17. How old were you when you met your now husband? I was 23. And did, was that the first time when you experienced this? What The, the things that the poem is discussing? Good question. Good question. In some ways, maybe, yeah. I mean, I think... So I would have said that my mum and my sisters probably would have had this relationship with me, but then that's almost like they have to because they're related to you. Um, and certainly I grew up knowing that, you know, that my dad was very critical and he wasn't that keen on the fact that we were doing languages and arts and music and literature. He was much more of a kind of science technology person. Um, and you could kind of never quite be good enough. You'd never quite make it. Nothing was ever quite as well as he would do it. Um, so, yeah, one of the poems that I wrote 
which was about meeting Keith on our first date, talks about how we met for this first date and then he disappeared off. And I just, it took me weeks and weeks to believe that he would want to meet again. And he kept saying, no, let's go for a coffee. And I thought, no, no, he can't mean it. He doesn't mean it. So I guess, yeah, you can trace how much that's changed. I'm thinking, oh, he can't possibly want to meet up with me to now, where I think he's... He's a rock and he's seen, hopefully he's seen the worst of me. I hope it doesn't get any worse. Um, and he's still here. Um, so, yeah, I guess that was a, a very different relationship. Certainly my first experience of that with a man, someone just saying, right. this is you and this is great and this is fine. That unconditional acceptance it seems to me that it's more rare than it should be and could yeah. be. Um, but it does seem that there's a release when that happens, mm -hmm. once a full acceptance. And maybe of ourselves, I think at 17, that's a, it's very hard yeah. to accept who we are at that age. We're so hypercritical often of ourselves and continue to be throughout life. You've yeah. got an interesting uh, thing in my head there, Andrew, about, the, about it being to oneself. Mm. I'd never thought of that, but it's really interesting. I think that's maybe the hardest of all. Yeah, I think because you know everything about yourself, don't you? There's no hiding it. There's no giving someone the benefit of the doubt. You right, know, you just. Right. But that's that's you know I guess the definition of being fully you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's expressed beautifully here, isn't it? Um, loving only half of you is not loving you by halves, but not at all. I love that line. Yeah. I think that's very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seeing that you're only you if you're everything that you are. Yeah. And actually, in that sense, we can really only say that about ourselves yeah. in terms of everything that we are. Yeah, the unedited version. Sounds to me like this idea of acceptance and the poems that you're writing even. I mean, it, it seems to me that you, you live this. Mm -hmm. Do you feel you live it with other people that you meet just generally? Yeah, I don't know that we share it with friends. I don't know that we say enough, you're brilliant, or I really value that about you. Or yeah. So I, I sent a message to a friend late at night the other day. I was up worrying about something. She sent one straight back saying, you're up late, is everything okay? And that kind of perceptiveness. So we were just yeah. talking a little bit about what was going on. I'd been foolishly Googling postnatal depression and the effect it has on your children because mm. I've had postnatal depression and it's something that I worry about with my little ones. Um, and she, so we were just kind of messaging backwards and forwards and she then sent a really lovely message saying, for what it's worth, I think you're one of the bravest and strongest people I know and, yeah. and talking about my children and what she's seen in terms of, you know, being patient with them and encouraging them and accepting them and like, wow, imagine if everyone saw a friend and said, I really like this about you, you do this and that's great or I aspire to being like this because I think people think it, I think it about friends all the time, right, you know, right. I wish I could be as patient as her or I wish I could take risks like her yeah. or... You know, I wish I was as good at explaining things as, yeah, as someone else. Do you see yourself as the you in the poem? Um, just curious. I think I probably didn't when I first read it. Yeah. I just saw it as like an amazing ideal mm -hmm. to hold up mm. of accepting someone. But I probably almost didn't quite believe it when I first found it like how can this be you know how can you absolutely love the contrast and the contradictions how can you love the bits that are difficult or mm. make you angry or frustrated or or unhappy 
The poem's all about our faults, isn't right, it, really? Right, right. Mm. You know, the, the coldness, the stubbornness, indignation, unruliness, restlessness. Mm. You know, the, the human condition is to be flawed. Yeah. Mm. Yes. yes. Um, and wouldn't it be boring if, if it weren't for all that? Yes. Really. And actually, I'm not sure that all of those are necessarily negatives. Indignation, unruliness. Mm. I kind of like it when my two-year-old's a bit indignant and unruly. Mm. You know, I just... Sometimes I have to stop myself from laughing when she's having a real strop about something. Because I think, actually, do you know what? I see your point. I exactly see your point. Yes. You want to stay in the playground. You're telling me it's, you know, fair play. Yeah. <laughs> and it's those moments. I think that's what I'm trying to to get to grips with why I like this one, because it's the reflection of the everyday. Yeah. You know, that you don't have to be brilliant. It's like the Mary Oliver poem, you don't have to walk on your knees. You know, yeah. you just, here you are, you're doing your best. This is today. Mm. You know, the point of life is life, I think Goethe said. It's happening now. You yes. have to take it as it is. Maybe so that's maybe the you is life as well. Yes. You accept life as it is and you say, yeah, I spent three mm. years being depressed and I beat myself up about it and the effect I had on my children, but that was part of life and I just accept it as it was and now I take from it what I can to go more oh. positively onwards. And it makes me the new, the new version of the you in the poem. Like this is the 39 year old version that's had all these experiences and is now going on. And I love that, that the you could be life, letting you be you if it's difficult or easy. Mm -hmm. um, Mm. Yeah, yeah, because life is stubborn and in indignant and mm -hmm. amputating and mutilating and all of that too. Um, yeah. Um, oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's great. It is. And actually those contrasts are sometimes part of what's brilliant. Yeah. If you knew you were always going to feel terrible, you would give up. But if you always felt fine, there would be nothing to celebrate though yes. you wouldn't notice the tiny things right. and that's one of the things having been depressed I think that sometimes I walk outside and think wow it smells really nice or birds are singing or um you know that's that's really funny what well, I saw someone the other day just running up the road like waving her arms and legs all over the place and I looked behind her to see where the small child was that she was performing for and there was no small child she was just like <laughs> <laughs> it's those things you think, right I'm going to write that down and turn it into a poem yeah. So I want to capture those things almost, mm. like, yeah, those elements. It is, lovely. I feel like we've been talking quite a lot about friends in a way, but one question that we do tend to ask is, if, if this poem were a, a friend to you, what, what kind of friend would it be? Mm -hmm. I think it's one that's always there. So I quite often, it's one of the few poems that I know off by heart, and so I quite often, if I'm just stressed or I'm trying to focus on something or I'm just travelling, I will think dich dich sein lassen and just kind of go through it and it's almost it's calming and it has a history and I tend to speak to myself in German anyway if I think I'm being ridiculous you know, I'll kind of say reiß dich zusammen, pull yourself together in German because, I don't know, I guess it's a slightly different part of your personality almost Interesting. It's, it's the part of you that achieves and that thinks rationally and that learns and that is sort of celebrated so by telling myself, reiß dich zusammen, like, okay, come on, we've got this, you know. Yeah. Um, so reading the, the poem in my mind in German makes me think, no, it's all right, got it. Yeah. Gosh, that's great. That is lovely, yeah. Did you just say that first stanza again? Dich, dich sein lassen, ganz dich. I'm going to 
memorise that. I love that yeah. in the German. Yeah. It's so soft. It's such a beautiful language. Yeah. You. You. To let you be you. All you. To see that you are only you when you're everything that you are. The tender one and the wild one that wants to break free and wants to come close. Whoever loves the half loves you not by half, but not at all wants to cut you to size, to amputate, to maim you. To let you be you, is it hard or easy? It's not a matter of how much forethought and understanding, but of how much love and how much open longing for everything, for all that is you for the warmth and the coldness, for the goodness and obstinacy, for your willfulness and unwillingness, for each of your gestures, for your awkwardness, inconstancy, constancy. Then this letting you be you maybe isn't so difficult after all. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It's, it's always interesting when you haven't been present for the actual conversation and you're, you're here getting ready to talk about it. And it was, for me, it was a phenomenal listening experience. So I hope it has been for everybody out there. Uh, our thanks to Verlag Klaus Wackenbach for the permission to use the poem. And indeed, of course, to Catherine for coming and seeing us in Durham and giving us such a rich and beautiful conversation. If you're familiar with the life and work of Eric Fried, you'll know that he was from Austria, not Germany, as was mentioned in the conversation. He fled Vienna in 1938 after the annexation of Austria by Nazi Germany. If you're discovering Eric Fried and his work through this episode, then do head to the description page where we've left a couple of links that will make it easy for you to find out more about his life and his work. We've got uh, a little announcement. We're going to be in Manchester for two days at the Manchester Central Library on February the 21st and the 22nd doing some exchanges, having some conversations with people about poems that have been friends to them. If you're in Manchester or near Manchester and you'd like to come along and take part and bring in a poem that's been a friend to you, you can sign up for a little time slot by going to our website, poetryexchange.co.uk. Mm. And if you go to the events page, there's a button you can push and you can sign up and come and see us. I was having a conversation with a few people over the festive season break who were in touch with me talking about how they listen mm. to the podcast, which is always a really interesting thing. I know some people like to listen on their way to work. Other people, you know, take a moment, curl up with a cup of tea and uh, have a very still moment with it. A friend of mine does it when she's running. Oh, well, that's, mm. yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? 
yeah, so I am curious about that. And I'd just like to invite anybody who would like to let us know anything about their experience of listening, where they listen, how they listen, to be in touch, send us a tweet or get in touch via the website. There's email contacts and all the usual ways and even a voice message you can leave us there. So curious to hear how people are listening. We'll be back with you next month. Until then, thank you for listening.